1: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. I have an idea for an evangelical bestseller. You ready? Your Best Death Now. It doesn't quite ring in the ears the same way that the famous prosperity gospel book entitled Your Best Life Now by Joel Osteen does, does it? But in reality, the Bible is not trying to fit us for our best life in this realm. The Bible is trying to get us ready to die and die well. By that, I don't mean that the Scripture, with a particular focus as a New Covenant Christian on the New Testament, is only trying to get us ready for the hour of our death. One hour, uh, 30, 40, 50 years hence, or one year hence, or two months hence, whenever our death is coming. It's not just, in other words, that God wants us to be ready in the moment of death. It's that we should understand our life, ironically, as a deathful life. We are living, but we are headed to death. We begin dying the moment that we are born. I recognize that such a statement sounds rather morbid and macabre to many modern ears. But this is only the truth. This is only the basest, plainest, most common fact. Of our condition. We are all headed to death. We can do nothing to stop the encroachment and advancement of death. No one can. You may be able to delay your death, at least as you experience it in in slight terms, but you cannot solve the problem of death. It is a problem for the entire human race, it is a problem for everyone, regardless of whether their belief system accounts for death, can explain death, or not. I was thinking about these matters recently because I was working in Philippians 3.10 in order to preach it. Here, the Apostle Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians 3.10. The passage goes on, but I wanted to focus in a sermon I was preaching here in the Kansas City area on this part of the verse, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. There are three truths that stood out to me as I meditated on this passage. First, the Christian needs to embrace suffering for the name of Christ. This is not—I this. I do not mean here, though, what many of you will think I mean. When we talk about suffering, we think of it as an isolated reality that once in a while happens for some people in the church. Once in a while— you. Somebody gets badly sick, and that's a bad thing, and then the church needs to gather around them and pray for them. That kind of suffering is real, and I am not uh, making light of that kind of suffering one little bit. But what I actually think the Apostle Paul is most focusing on here is not so much the sickness that comes from being in a fallen world and therefore getting a terrible disease that one should pray over and uh, call out to the Lord about, but instead is talking about a, a cruciform suffering. A suffering that comes because you are a Christian. A suffering that directly follows from a commitment to Christ. We should share his sufferings even as the Apostle Paul did. The suffering that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is not tendinitis in a joint. The suffering that the Apostle Paul is talking about is suffering that comes because you are claiming the name of Jesus Christ in a world that is implacably opposed to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world lies under the spell of the devil. Because the natural man follows the devil's cues and believes that Jesus Christ is despicable. When in reality, Jesus Christ is the reenchantment of our humanity. Jesus Christ is the one who has come into our deathful world and has made a way out of it, has made a way to God, has made a way to live, truly live. All this means then that you and I should think of suffering Yes, as including, let's say, a physical breakdown of the body, tragically, but more than this, we need to expand our conception of suffering, and we need to understand suffering as that, in this verse, which Paul is saying comes because you claim the name of Jesus Christ, because you love Jesus Christ, because by God's grace, you have repented of your sin, confessed it to God, and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. When you do that, you enter the way of suffering you lock yourself into sharing his sufferings sharing whose sufferings you might ask sharing Christ's suffering here we are reminded that the apostle paul is not directing us to think about how jesus once in a while got tennis elbow We are thinking, specifically in this passage with Paul, about how Jesus' commitment to do the will of the Father in perfect, humble obedience, to take on the form of a servant, to become a slave, meant that he was despised and rejected of men, hated, and ultimately crucified. That is the suffering that the Apostle Paul is highlighting in this passage. And that is the suffering that he says he wants to share in. And that is the suffering by extension that he wants the Philippian church to share in. And that is the suffering that by double extension, he wants you and me 2,000 years after he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to share in. So, Christian, listening to this podcast right now, this call to share in the sufferings of Christ is a call to know that being a christian just like in the experience of our lord and savior means that we are going to suffer for christ it is inevitable if you are a true born again believer there is no opt out choice here this is what it means to be a christian to follow christ all the way to glory and the way of christ is the way of the cross the way of christ is not a path that goes upward to earthly exaltation and cultural acceptance. That's what we all want it to lead us toward. We naturally believe and hope that our lives are going to incline upward without any check in that progress. But in reality, to follow Jesus Christ is to go low. It's to go to the lowest place on earth, metaphorically. Yes, Jesus ascended a hill, but in taking on a cross, he was, he was going to the lowest possible place. He was going the way of death. He was going downward in the mind of man. He was not going upward to an exalted status. He was going to the place of absolute rejection. He was going to the place where he would even cry out that his father had abandoned him, had forsaken him he was going to the place where his life would end. This was not a theoretical pain. This was not an emotional pang. This was not psychological tennis elbow. This was actual suffering and death as Jesus Christ died in our place, drank the fullness of the Father's wrath against our sin, the sin of all who would believe and trust in Christ, and hung there naked alone, abandoned, and died. That is what it means to walk the way of Christ. Nobody stood by him of his vaunted disciples save one. Nobody uh, 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 chartered some kind of major cause for Christ. There was no GoFundMe to help him out. There was no public outpouring of support as he gasped for breath, drinking the Father's wrath, dying our death. This is the lowest possible place on earth. He went there for us. But that means, you know that, I know that, the way we think of that tends to be that because he went low, we can go high. But the death of Christ actually means that because he went low, we go low too. We share his sufferings. Second, Philippians 3.10 calls us to live without the fear of death. Why? Because Paul expands on this concept in the second part of the verse. We're becoming like Christ. What a wondrous phrase that is. You and I, totally undeserving little worms, are conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Wonder of wonders. We're becoming like him. So far, everybody's excited about that concept. That doesn't sound bad to really anyone, I'm sure, who has any vague appreciation for Christianity at all. But then Paul continues the thought, in his death. So we're being made like Christ in a very specific way. Christ was crucified. Christ died to self, if you will, not to sin in any form, not even a hint. But Christ died to himself. He died to his own interests. He, he was humbled to the lowest point. He, he humiliated himself on our behalf for the glory of the Father. And it is in that sense that we understand what it means to be made like him in his death. We are being crucified. You are being crucified. We need some theological clarity here. I don't in any sense mean that we are atoning for our sins. The atonement of Jesus Christ, as I said a minute ago, on the cross about 2,000 years ago, was a perfect atonement. It was such a complete atonement for sin that there is not one molecule of salvation that we contribute. It was such a perfect drinking of the Father's just wrath against our sin that if you were to find the cup of the wrath of God, there is not a drop in it for you to drink. You ever think about this? You and I don't just get to not drink the lion's share of the Father's wrath. We don't even drink a tiny little sip. Christ drank it all. So, Christ's atonement is perfect, finished, and complete. No one can add anything to their salvation. You and I cannot atone for our sin. But in following Jesus Christ by God-given faith, we die to ourself. We are crucified in that our sin and selfishness is put to death by the power of God through the working of the Spirit in our day-to-day Christian life, we must die to ourselves. We must hate our sin. We must claim the power of God in us, and we must do everything we can in a Colossians three sense to mortify the flesh, as John Owen. Famously called us to do. And that means then, as we are living this cruciform life, as you and I are dying to our sin, as Christ is increasing and we are decreasing, not meaning that we express less and less and less of our natural personality or something like this, but as we pursue less and less and less of our own self driven glory and live more and more and more for the glory of God that then means that the fear of death recedes. Hebrews 2.14-18 covers this in great detail. For the Christian, because of the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ, we have no fear of death. The fear of death is objectively dealt with. The Christian is not mastered by and enslaved to the fear of death as the natural man is. The natural man has had no atonement for sin. The, The unbeliever who is not converted, knows nothing of the liberation through the cross of Christ from the fear of death. They may someday, but in their present experience as an unbeliever, they have no release from the fear of death. But the Christian does. The Christian is objectively delivered from the fear of death. And that means then that you and I today in 2021, in the spring of 2021, can live without the fear of death. And what an earth-shaking Demonstration of Christian faith that will be. Because, my dear friends, if we are in an age of anything, it is the age of the fear of death. I am not speaking in exaggerated tones here. People are enslaved to it. People always have been. We ourselves were before coming to Christ. But what has happened in the last year is that the fear of death, which is the natural condition of the heart of man, has been exposed. I think we can say that in the West, at least, there have been years of relative prosperity and abundance, and so the fear of death could be masked. There are pills you could take. There are experiences you could have, vacations you can go on, raises you can get at work, happy events in your life that you can broadcast on social media. On and on it goes, such that you could, at least in some sense, dull the effects of the fear of death, a condition to which you are naturally and objectively enslaved outside of Christ. But all of that was stripped away from so many in the last year due to the effects of the lockdown across the globe. And many people have been left without any hope and many people have been left without any joy and many people have been confronted by the threat, the specter of COVID, with the possibility of their death, something they, at least in a lot of cases, was, were not thinking a lot about prior to these developments in global life. But now many people are thinking about these things, and they realize they have no cure for death. They have no hope after death. They do not know where they are going when they die. They have a guilty conscience because of sin, real sin committed over a lifetime and so they are enslaved to the fear of death and they're acting like they are well look christians should live wisely christians should love their neighbor christians should do what they can to to lead a a wise life but we must make plain to people because of the grace of god we do not fear death we do not fear death you should look in the mirror in the morning and say out loud because of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified for me, I do not fear death. You're going to have to make all sorts of decisions about your daily goings-on and decisions about safety in different public settings, and, and that's understandable. You need to do that. I hope you choose wisely. I hope you live circumspectly. I hope you love your neighbor, but you must not fear death, and you must know that the fear of death is truly a spiritual pandemic among us and always will be until the end of the age. So you, Christian, find all sorts of ways to live without the fear of death and know that you are the one, because of God's work in your heart, who is becoming like Christ in his death. You have entered the way of the cross. You are headed toward your physical death, and you have actually died in Christ already you have died to sin. You have died to hell. It's overcome for you, said differently. You're still going to die unless Jesus returns, but the effects of death are, are altogether changed because of what Christ has done in dying for you. And you're free. You're free. You're liberated. You may not feel that way sometimes. People around you may look like the truly liberated ones, but Christians are the ones who are liberated and the ones who are free. And it is all because of the crosswork of King Jesus. Third and finally, you and I, drafting off of Philippians 3, should rejoice as God changes us. God is changing us. God is stripping away our sin. But this is not always the pleasant process we would map it out to be. If you were to draw up your sanctification plan, I am going to guess, like mine, like many listeners, it would be mm, pretty pleasant. You might have an occasional little dip in your fortunes here and there, but in general, your personal sanctification plan, if it was responsible to you to draw it up, would probably be pretty nice. It probably wouldn't be that bad at all. It's helpful to know that God's sanctification plan for you is very likely completely different than your self-driven sanctification plan for yourself. Just marinating in that reality will help you and me not be taken aback, not be dismayed, not be knocked off kilter in our walk with Christ when real difficulty and suffering and challenge strikes for us. This will surely happen to you and me. And it will especially happen as we claim the name of Jesus Christ and as we proclaim Christ in all our lives. As you are a living, meaningful witness to the greatness of God in a fallen world, as I said earlier, you will not only suffer physically in small, minor ways. You may well be called to suffer greatly for the name of Jesus Christ. You must recall texts like this. You must remember that following Jesus per Matthew 10 and Matthew 16 means denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ. Isn't it fascinating in those two chapters in Matthew that it's, that it's his cross that the follower of Jesus must take up? There is a very specific cross. There is a cross that has been crafted just for you. It will fit you just as God wants it to fit you. You must bear it yourself in your own individual state all the way to heaven. You're not doing this in your own strength, but by God's strength. And yet, take take pains to note here that God has already crafted, like a master worker, a master tradesman, exactly the cross he wants you to bear. And he wants you to suffer, and he wants you to become like Christ by virtue of being a meaningful, sold-out Christian. Being a Christian is not supposed to have no cost. It's not supposed to have no effect. Being a Christian in no way means that you're going to be popular, liked, culturally accepted, and approved of. Being a Christian generally is going to mean the opposite. It may be that God has ups and downs in your life, and the ups are genuine. And from God, give thanks to them. We're not supposed to see the downs in and of themselves, the negatives, as wonderful. If they were wonderful, they wouldn't be the negatives. There are tremendous, real hardships and pains, trials that you and I are called to go through, and we're, we're never called in Scripture to see that specific pain or trial itself as good. But the God who sends that pain, trial, hardship, instance of suffering, long-term bout of suffering, is in fact good. He is impossibly good. He is perfectly good. He has sent that to you as part of that cross that you bear. So my prayer, as we conclude here today, is that we will not only endure what God brings our way, but we will Live a life of rejoicing even in trial. We will be Job like. We will be Paul like. We will say, oh, God doesn't simply want me to survive this test, this challenge, this hardship. God wants me to rejoice in Him. God wants to take me further. God is bringing me lower and lower. I am going down with Jesus Christ. I am traveling not to the exalted heights of human culture. I am walking the way of death with Jesus. Jesus is just a little bit ahead of me. He is going before me. He is the one who is truth, beauty, goodness, and light. I am in utter darkness, but the light of Jesus Christ is before me. And I will follow it all the way to the celestial city. And Christ will not abandon me. He will not leave me. If I stumble and falter, He will bring me all the way home. He has given me everything sufficient, everything needed for life and godliness. Jesus has gone to the low place, Jesus has purchased my salvation. And now Jesus is going ahead of me, and I will not deny my Master and my Lord. I am not living my best life now, but I am indeed headed to my best death in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to City of God a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.